1: Welcome to another podcast by InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports, your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting.
2: I'm your host, Tommy Ashley, joined by Ross Martin, Greg Barnes, Bye week so there's very little to discuss for North Carolina football, but we'll make it work. We're playing a little bit of Podcast Uno. If you have a card that matches and you change the color, take it a different direction, something like that. Greg, I'm going to start with you first. Thread on the message board, the defense. I think they're better. The numbers certainly don't show, but the eyeball test, I see this North Carolina defense as being better than it has been under Fedora for most of the time. But I don't know if you necessarily agree.
1: No, I don't. I mean, have there been moments where the defense has looked good? Yeah, of course there has been. But there's been moments where the defense has looked good over the years. And stats typically don't lie. And I think when you start looking at what this defense has done, this defense is ranked dead last in the ACC in total defense. It is ranked 12th in the ACC in yards per play allowed. I brought up on the message board that back in 2014, that defense that everybody says, you know, one of the worst they've ever seen. There's actually a John Bunny defense that was worse, but that defense in 13 games allowed 22 plays or 40 yards or more. This current defense in nine games is already allowed 17. So what does that mean? That means this defense is giving up more catastrophic plays per game than Vic Coney and swan song in 2014. Now, that's not to say this defense is worse than that defense because it's not. But while there have been positive stretches, at some point you've got to make the plays and you've got to be a quality product for 60 minutes, right? Because what happens is we see this defense play good for stretches in the first half, and then the lack of depth and this is not necessarily a defense that's very banged up. There's a few significant injuries, but not an overwhelming amount. Most of those are on the offensive side of the ball. But the lack of depth shows up in the second half, which is also when teams make their adjustments. So North Carolina struggled to counter those adjustments, and they don't have the depth to be able to play these guys the entire game. And so you see some of these big numbers put up. But I remember uh, you know, in 2009, going up to Connecticut, and watching North Carolina score 12 points and winning a game. They won 12 to 10 because the defense made plays to win. That was a very good defense. And if you look at kind of the, the points total and the yards per play, the offense this year is averaging more yards per play than that 2009 offense did. In terms of scoring offense, that offense averaged about 23 and a half. This one's at 21. So pretty even in terms of how productive the offenses were. That '09 9 team won eight games. That was a good defense. That's what good defenses do. Um, and so I think it's a very unique dynamic where people are looking at this team that is one and 1-8 and that is giving up 33 points a game or whatever it may be. And saying, "Well, the defense, yeah, they're pretty good. They're they're good in stretches, but this is by no means a good defense." And I, you know, I, I don't know I I don't know what's happened during the Fedora era, where we look at a defense like this and say, "Okay, that's that's actually acceptable." But I, I I don't think that's the case.
0: Yeah, I think people people are trying to find a positive, and that's kind of where the the fans are coming at it from. You know, what's the positive of this team? And I guess. When you look at it from a larger perspective, it's it's some of the plays the defense makes in the first half and some of their play in the first half is kind of the only positive you can take away from this team, other than obviously some good offensive plays in the last game. But you know, I pulled the, the the scores and um you know they gave up 35, 47, 23 to old Dominion, 27, 33, 33, 20, 59, 24. I mean, those aren't like impressive numbers and impressive defenses. 10 you know 10 14 17 those kind of numbers so um well i think there are some good building blocks you know some young players you know there's obviously some some mistakes some younger guys but I think from a from a whole scheme you know kj sales you know miles dorn even though he gave up that one of those touchdowns in the last game there's some positive guys that are going to be back next year on the defensive line uh cole holcomb's been better this year Obviously, they'll get a guy like Andre Smith back. But um, I think there's just some positives to build on from what they've shown this year. But they do lose some players as well, and that's important to note.
1: Tommy, who, who on this defense, other than M.J. Stewart, who is leaving this year, scares you if you were an offensive coordinator?
2: Mm, scares? That I have yeah, to like game plan, plan for? Just...
1: Act... Exactly.
2: Uh, Stewart, perhaps Dalton. Mm. At
0: times. But Carney. <laughs> I think Carney's a good pass rusher.
2: But specific game plans to avoid him, Stuart. strictly. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you're, talking about, you the two. you're talking about a 12 10 win at Connecticut, Greg. I, I, I very vividly remember because it was my oldest son's first Carolina football game. John Bunning defense won a game 7 5. Against
1: Virginia. That's right.
2: Was that a good defense? That was on
1: my anniversary, Tommy. On oh, my anniversary <laughs> in 2005. How about that? I actually watched that game that day.
0: Greg is coming <laughs> in hot today. Y'all are also talking about Connecticut football. I mean, let's get real. It's it's UConn football. It's not like some. <laughs> they were good
1: at they they were good back in those days. Though. Yeah,
0: they had the guy who went to uh, Maryland, Randy well, Edsel. Is that right? Edsel,
1: yeah.
2: Yeah, we saw how that one worked out, but they. Uh... Yeah, the the thing I remember the most of that is the flyover. The Jets hit the afterburners. My kid screamed like somebody had shot him. Uh, but, Greg. Tommy, make,
1: make your case for the defense. Let me hear it.
2: I think that the defense is better because they give up catastrophic plays, but you on this podcast have, have always said and said a lot, uh, but for five plays they gave up 4.3 yards per play. Right. And I think that's progress rather than a defense that gives up a 10-play, 80-yard drive, and it's 8, 9, 12, 8, 10, 10 plays per game. I think you can eliminate the catastrophic plays. You can't do much when a team's just steamrolling. You're giving it to the fullback for 8, 9, 10 yards of play. That's why I think they appear better. They still mess up. The numbers end up looking bad. But don't misunderstand me saying they are doing better for saying they're good. And I think somebody on Twitter or the message boards got on me for that. Like Ross said, it's a positive in a season of no positives that they're actually making some plays. And we've seen, Greg, you know this, we've seen in 2014, they didn't make any plays the entire year, it felt like. So that's my point as to why I think they've improved. Do the numbers look bad? Sure. Does one and eight look bad? Absolutely. But when I see guys actually making stops and making plays and then giving up a bomb, you know, I'd rather go out in a blaze of glory than die with 50 cuts like Georgia Tech used to do this team all the
0: time. Hey, yeah, Greg. I, I get... Go ahead, Ross. No, go ahead. You Go on this topic. Go ahead.
1: I was just going to say, I understand that. And that's, there's some good points, but I think also we have to talk about that in the preseason, what was the first thing Larry Fedora said at the ACC kickoff? He said that the defense was going to have to step up and carry a very young offense, especially early in the year.
2: Which is is more ridiculous, that statement or the fact that we believed it (laughs) that we believed it could happen under this under Larry Fedora and I'm not I mean let's be real you you can't not talk about them having to play 40 40 minutes a game either games are 60 minutes I get it but there's anybody Superman would be tired if he was on the field for 40 minutes a game don't you agree with that
1: I absolutely agree with that so what's so how do you address that I mean, is it a matter of saying, well, this defense is as good as it's going to get, unless what? Unless the offense changes and the offense is not changing as long as Larry Fedora is here. Or you have to recruit a whole heck of a lot better on defense because M.J. Stewart, who is your best player, cannot be playing 90 snaps a game. That's unfair to that kid. So you have to do a better job recruiting. Um, You know, and M.J. is a warrior. I mean, he he busts his tail and – The GPS numbers are phenomenal for the kid. But even somebody like that is going to get worn down. So that tells me if we're having that conversation, they have to do a much better job recruiting so you can actually have a legitimate two deep. I know there's been a few injuries on that side of the ball. Uh, But, you know, if you're not changing the offense and that's the conversation of they're playing too many plays, you got to do a better job recruiting then.
2: I don't disagree, but Ross, do you think like, Greg said, they're never going to change the offense. Not under this staff. But I think that's also part of coaching <laughs> and and why some coaches are better than others is that some coaches adapt to to do that. It's like square peg round hole with Fedora's offense, and I get it when it works. But when the defense goes out against Miami and the offense gives up four turnovers and the defense doesn't allow any points off those four turnovers if my Memory serves at least not on the drive there I mean what more can they do yeah. to
0: get a little bit of credit the def- i mean <laughs> I think though I think the offense is like i mean this is a unique year, I mean the offense can't sustain drives you know they had they they probably had their best performance offensively um you know since old Dominion against. Against Miami and actually sustain some drives and move the ball. But then they did give the ball over a bunch of times as well, which obviously didn't help the defense get any rest. So I think in a normal year, or at least an average year, you know, a 2016 year, the offense is able to sustain some drives and put up some points and, and give a little breathing room to the defense. But this is just different. And I think Fedora came into the season knowing that his offense was not going to be that, gr- that great, and then of course all the injuries hit, so it's even worse. It was going to be putting in more pressure on this defense, and yeah, I think all across the board recruiting needs to improve. Um, I think up front, you know, when they had um, when they lost Jalen Dalton and Jordan Riley for that game, they only had three interior defensive tackles. I mean, that's horrible. You can't you can't stop anybody with that kind of uh, lack of depth inside. So. I think that the talent just needs to improve. And, I mean, I think for UNC, they can get back into some recruiting and say they, they maybe would not have been in with the NCAA stuff looming. So that's going to be maybe a little bit easier for UNC. But, obviously, winning certainly helps recruiting. Uh, I wanted to pose this question to Greg. I mean, we saw a lot of positives against Miami, tons. Um, you know, I think a lot of fans came away very impressed with the team, very proud of the effort. The, the, the team hasn't quit on Fedora. Fedora's held them together. And they, you know, had a chance to win you know, a couple plays go a different way and UNC comes out with a victory. What do you think that means for UNC's chances in the next three games? Because, I mean, that's kind of, you're kind of leading to the next season. I mean, this season's over. Um, but you got, you got Pittsburgh, you got a bye week, you got Pittsburgh, and you got, obviously, Western Carolina and State. What do you think from those three games, um, how this team's going to approach it, and what do you think's going to happen?
1: Well, I think I think the one key takeaway I had from the Miami post-game interviews was that after Virginia Tech, Larry Fedora was kind of down, frustrated, kind of scratching his head. He was not that way after the Miami game. He was very energetic, he was pumped, even though they lost, he was very proud of how they played. That's what we talked about at the uh, the pregame show at the Carolina Club is that you know it's one thing to get beat one on one against the man in front of you. you know, that's going to happen when you're playing with so many young guys. But if you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing, that's a coaching issue. And I think we saw that at Blacksburg. That wasn't the case against Miami. North Carolina lost that game. It was just because Miami had better players. That was it. I mean, I I thought the coaching staff did a really good job. The players executed. uh, They played to the best of their ability. So I think you can build off of that and say, look, guys, we may be banged up. We may have 22 guys out or however many it's going to be for the next game. We proved against the top 10 team in the country that even though we're depleted, that when we actually execute and we do what we're supposed to do and we play with energy and effort, we can play with anybody. Uh, and Pittsburgh is not at the, the caliber of, of Miami. We know Western Carolina is not. I don't know the NC State's as good as Miami. So the key for the coaching staff is going to be, and for these seniors, is to keep these guys up to the level of that Miami game. Now, that's easier said than done because, you know, like we've talked about, the week before we saw Virginia Tech. So those are two uh, vast extremes there, one negative, one positive. And so you don't want to be in between. You want to be closer to the positive side of things. And how the coaching staff handles that and some of these senior leaders, I think that will really tell you exactly how things play out over the last quarter of the season.
0: I'm going to jump in here. Real quick, sorry, Tommy. Uh, no, what about that? What... what about that fake punt? And you said the coaches put it in position to win. I had a bunch of buddies texting me after that, at you know, af- on Monday today or on Sunday afternoon. Like, you got to ask Fedor about that fake punt. I mean, that was that was an awful play call that time. I mean, what was he thinking at that point in the game? I know you mentioned it in your scoop.
2: Well, Greg, that's I think you because that... I, I can tell you what I was thinking. <laughs>
1: Well, going back and looking at the film, um, they, had, they had two options in that play. One was Fritz in the flat, which is where Manny Miles actually went. And then they actually had, I don't remember who it was, but somebody on kind of a, a corner route or a post route. Yeah. Um, and that, that guy was open. Um, and so at that point, it becomes, well, you know, if he made that play, he would have looked like a genius, and you kind of go for it. Um, I, don't, I don't mind being aggressive. And if they saw something they liked, you know, I mean, it's it's kind of the game where you're not expected to win, so you can go for it. Yeah, I just think at that point of the game, you're playing. The defense is playing well at that point.
0: Exactly. The
1: offense is actually having a little bit of success, and you know, I sat and watched Freeman Jones make, I think, a 52 yarder from that same direction. So even though that would have been a career long that he would have kicked from there, he he had the leg, and he actually kicked a a field goal a few minutes later from 45 yards. Um, so I think it was a little bit too aggressive of a play, especially with it being a fourth and 19. If you got two options on a play, and one of them pretty much is guaranteed not to get you a first down, you really only have one option, and they didn't go to that option. So I, I just I don't think it, it played out as well as maybe he thought it would.
0: And the score there was UNC was up 3-0. I mean, it's not like they needed to, like, you know, you kick a field goal, you go up 6-0. It's not like they were, like, desperate for points at that point. I guess – I mean, I, I do like the aggressive play calling and like kind of like we have nothing to lose mentality. You know, go for stuff you normally wouldn't to have, take some shots. That's kind of the mentality they took there. Obviously going for it on fourth down within the uh, the 10 there on that earlier possession. But, yeah, the fake field goal. Going in 19 yards a game, that's tough.
2: Yeah, and how, how many times – how many fake field goals on fourth – or fake punt, fake field goal on fourth and 19 – Have you ever seen successful? 19 yards. (laughs) Ever?
1: I mean, I've seen it on a punt, but never on a field goal.
0: But yeah, that was a fake field goal. So I've been calling it a punt.
2: Well, if we're going to talk about play calls and we can go there, (laughs) what was it? Second and six inches, and you don't go under center. We had talked about getting under center coming out of the end zone. Greg, they don't go under center trying to go into the end zone. I think that is when the game. Uh, really turn because i think if carolina puts points there and, and goes up whatever it was 13 nothing or, or whatever then it's you, you got a whole different ball game and for some reason that's the time to go under center i know the offense is what it is but you learn something against notre dame why not apply it there that's the maddening uh, lack of awareness slash game management is I think what drives this fan base the nuttiest, Greg.
1: Yeah, I, I don't know, Tommy. Um, Notre Dame, you know, no question there. That, that was a bad decision. Uh, we've talked about that so much, so I won't kind of rehash that. But you're backed up there, and you're just trying to make sure you don't get a safety. I think in Fedora's offense, I mean, it, it's set to be out of the shotgun. And I actually don't mind the idea of, of rolling Chastorat out because uh, they actually ran Jordan Brown straight up the middle on first and second down there. So, yeah, he's not under-centered, but he's in the shotgun, and that's, a, that's kind of their, their bread-and-butter play up the middle. So if, if you can't run your bread-and-butter play twice from the one and score, I don't know that you're necessarily going to score doing something you don't normally do. And I don't mind the, the idea of kind of rolling Strat out. So yeah, I mean it's a bad look and it's easy to, to question in hindsight. Uh, but I mean give you give quarterman a, a some credit. He made a heck of a play on fourth down. Um uh, but you know, I, I think I think Notre Dame is a lot more clear cut of a decision compared to compared to that one.
0: And and while we're still on this game, before we move on to something else, I'll just give you kind of what I took away from the game. You know, I thought I thought Bo Krause played great. Obviously he's a playmaker. He's the biggest receiver UNC has. He showed some athleticism. I think you just have to play him more and just get him ready for next season. He seems like the guy who can make some plays. I don't know if whether that was that was Elliott or the trick plays, but I mean he scored two touchdowns. I think that's a big takeaway. And he has the body. Seems like he's kind of, you know, getting some play calls down and, and Gunnar Brewer has some some trust in him, which is good. I thought the offensive line looked better. I thought Jordan Brown ran really hard throughout most of the game. Um you just saw certain plays where um, they would pull the center or pull guard and and really get some downfield blocking. And, and, you know, they hit on some things, and they protected the quarterback pretty well at times. You know, it wasn't like Virginia Tech where Chaz, Surratt, whoever was back there had no time. You know, there was definitely some pockets at, time, at times that gave uh, the quarterback a chance. You just saw kind of a more concerted effort by the offensive line, probably just because they got, you know, beat down in practice because they were awful against Virginia Tech. So they probably took it to heart there. And I think, and we were going to talk about this. We might as well jump into it now. You know, I think UNC kind of has a quarterback question now going into the bye week, and going into um, going to Pittsburgh. I mean, Chad Stratt hasn't has been knocked out of what two straight games now, and and then didn't play the one before that. Um, so what do you do? I mean, Nathan Elliott seems like the team kind of. Likes him in terms of just what he brings and the, from a motivational standpoint, or from a leadership standpoint, you know, he's been there three years, you know, his classmates, the guys he came, he came in with are kind of the guys on the field, um, you know, he, he works hard, it seems like they play for him more, if, if y'all know what I'm saying. And obviously, the, the three uh, interceptions are not great. Um, but he looked like, you know, he could run the ball a little bit, he can make some throws He's a little limited on what he can do. But it just seemed like he gave them a better chance somehow, even with all those picks. So I think it's going to be super interesting because it seems like Fedora and the staff and Heckendorf and Cap are always going with Surratt. So maybe he's just the better guy in practice. And they feel like he gives them a better chance to win in terms of what he can bring athletically and with his arm and playmaking. But it just seems that Elliot was a gamer. And this is a, a obviously a short, small sample size. But uh, I think you have to be impressed with what Elliot did, not knowing he was going to play. And kind of stepping up and really giving UNC a chance uh, in that game. Greg,
2: let me jump in there. And I'll, I'll say, I agree with you, Ross. I think that, you know, give the kid a chance. At this point in the season, you're 1 and 8. We've seen Surratt, we've seen what he can do. Um, you don't want to keep getting him banged up and keep getting him hurt. I agree. The team looked like they had a lot of energy and played well for Elliott. You know, you can't throw it to the other team three times. You know, however, whoever fault that is if it's a receiver fault fine it still can't go to the wrong jersey three times and a half but greg i think i'll give two votes because i assume ross is one vote for elliot i'll I'll cast a second vote for elliot from here on out just to see if this team can get a spark and get some kind of positive momentum going out of the season
1: yeah why was why was elliot most successful against miami though
2: what he you well. it to Ratliff-Williams and let Ratliff-Williams throw it a couple times. <laughs> <laughs> well, he,
1: he ran 21 times for 79 yards.
2: Um, tough yards. I mean, most of them were. I was just going to say that. Yeah, yes. Yeah, I mean, if you want to call him gritty or whatever the stereotypical words are, he ran tough and he ran hard, and he played hard, and he looked like a football player, not um, a guy playing football, at least from my eyes.
1: Yep. And coming into the year, one thing we talked about was, okay, we know they've they're kind of limited at wide receiver. This is before all these guys got hurt. They were at that time, we're like, well, if Austin Prol's your your best wide receiver, then you're gonna have a little bit of issue in terms of what in your passing game. And you've got a fresh young quarterback. So you're gonna to have to rely on the running game and not just your running backs, you're gonna to have to rely on the quarterback to open things up for you. And we saw that a little bit with Surratt against California. We also saw it a little bit against Duke. Now, granted, the the Duke one, he had that 56-yarder, which kind of changed the stats a little bit. But otherwise, they haven't used him an awful lot running the ball. And I'm curious as to why. I mean, uh, I think Elliott's a fine runner. He's quick enough. Um, I I don't know who's faster straight line speed, him or Surratt. But I'm just curious why they haven't run Surratt more. Because I think I think the reason we're talking about Elliott is because those were tough yards against a good defense. We're not talking about him because he was such a great passer. Um, and so I, I think, you know, for Surratt, if they're going to go with him, trust him to run the ball. I mean, he had a, a good run at Virginia Tech before he got hurt. Um, I, I would kind of like to see that. I mean, I, I'm, I'm fine with going with Elliott. If you want to mix it up some because of the way he played against Miami, fine, have at it. But if you're going to go with Surratt, uh, run him. Let's see what he can do with his legs because Marquise did that with a lot of success in 2014. He carried that offense. Now, I know Marquise is a different runner, and he's more of a linebacker. Uh, but Surratt, you know, he, he's got some good, good speed, some good wills. So you try, try to do what you did against Miami with Surratt and see how that plays out maybe. I, I think that would be my number one option. But, as I said, if you want to go with Elliott yeah, you know, I, I don't have any issue with that either
0: and, and dude Greg, I think just looking ahead, man, does this team have a quarterback on its roster that can you know get them in the you know the contention for an a c c coastal championship i don't I don't know Ooh. if they' through i mean Chaz is young, so obviously there's some yeah. potential there potential for growth, but um that's that's right now that's i mean what
1: obviously, I would I was go just ahead. gonna say ross the that's the one thing that Uh, I'm curious about because I vividly remember, and I guess this was 2011, but going to practice and watching Marquise and being like, "Uh, yeah, that's not going to (laughs) work. And kind of the same thoughts I had with Anthony Ratliff-Williams a few years ago. Like, this kid is a great athlete, but I'm not sure that he's a quarterback. And people around the program were telling me the same thing. Like, yeah, I wonder what position they're going to move him to next because he's not staying at quarterback. And what happened? And you know, Marquis developed tremendously. And by his senior year, he was throwing a good deep ball. Uh he'd really progressed. So, yeah, you know, I think Surratt has a lot of room to grow. Is he there yet? No, of course not. Uh so that's that's my only hesitancy of saying, you know, maybe if you stick with him that he can he can mature and he can he can develop into that kind of quality quarterback. Uh but but no doubt they, they need a they need a talented kid coming in to kind of give them that, that Mitch aspect of it. You because know, when Mitch stepped foot on campus, we knew that he was going to be legit. It was just a matter of how soon.
0: Yeah, and I think that's where the, the Tyler Shook decommitment really hurts UNC. You know, to just have a guy to push, you know, to push Surratt or push whoever, you know, Elliot, whoever. I mean, I think Jace Reader is a, a good guy, but he doesn't have that, that it factor that I think Shook had immediately. I mean, Shook could come in next year if he was still committed, obviously come in and he could compete for a starting job. I mean, that guy has all the tools. I think that's kind of what they, you know, had an idea of him being able to really compete for that job. So they need to get in uh, another quarterback in this class. and Obviously, I think they need a lot of help in the offensive line because, I mean, obviously you're nowhere without a wealth and protection and a run game. Let me
2: me take a quick break. This is the unedited straight from the hip Inside Carolina podcast. I'm going to take a break. We'll come back with a couple more questions. All right, Ross, speaking of recruits and commitments and all that, we don't have to talk specifically, but guys committing early and then taking visits later. It's benefited Carolina in the past. It's hurt Carolina in the past. Your take on that. I mean, you follow recruiting a plenty. I'll, I'll tell you this. If I were a big-time recruit or if my children ever were big-time recruits, they're taking every visit and then some.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'd go, to, I'd go to USC, I'd go to UCLA, I'd go to Oregon, um, and then I'd go to, like, LSU, just basing on just kind of the, the personnel at those locations. But, yeah, I mean, it's tough. I mean, I was talking about Peyton Wilson. I mean, a guy that's 25 minutes from Keenan Stadium and a great kid who's been on campus tons of time, I think almost every home game. But I'm not sure if he – I don't think he was there last, uh, last game against Miami because he hurt he his ACL. But yeah, I mean, these guys take visits. It happens, you know. Malik, uh, Malik Robinson, a freshman QB, took took visits. William Sweet, Andre Smith, all took official visits. Kind of around this time, November, December is when it all starts happening before they sign early. Um, and so you're going to see it. And obviously, it's something they're allowed to do. That they're, they're not signed in, and so. But it's it's when a team is one and eight, and you got your your best prospects looking around. That is disconcerting, just for the program, just for the look of it. And I mean, obviously you know, readers of Inside Carolina and people on the board know this. And it's kind of a, a stressful situation when you had thought you had a pretty good class with some good guys and come in and and compete early and kind of build this program back up. And when you got your, your top guy, your stud, your guy who went to the, the Nike camp this summer, I mean, and he's looking around, that's not good, but I, I mean, I, I know Peyton Wilson um, I've talked with him multiple times. I, Texting him occasionally from when i covered him at caroline blue and 247 7 sports the guy's a good kid he, he's he's thinking this through his parents are involved as well and, and they realize the opportunity that unc provides academically and it's 25 minutes from home i mean that's so easy for his parents i mean they really want i guess raleigh's pretty close too but i mean this guy's not going to anywhere out of state um and i think it's just a matter of seeing what else is out there and seeing his options and it's going to happen but yeah, I mean it's not good. It's not a good look, but it happens. So you have to kind of just trust in your coaches and trust in your staff and and, and trust that your plan, what you laid out, and and the relationship you've built over the last two or three years is what is what wins out.
2: Greg, let's talk about fan support versus wins. Chicken or the egg? Your take on that? I mean, I know you cover the team, but when you're in that press box, you see the arena, whether it's. Dean Dome or, or Kenan Stadium, you've been other places. A lot of people talk about that, and a lot of people talk about how, and Ross, you've been poignant about the students at Carolina. So, where is the line, Greg, in your opinion, that should be drawn, uh, fan, support, fan support versus a, a winning team? I mean, where does that line? Because I remember South Carolina, what, under Holtz, maybe they were 0 and 11 and they filled that yep. stadium every game. Obviously, Chapel Hill will never be like that, but that's certainly the the benchmark for fan support.
1: Yeah, for sure. And there, there's a number of schools like that. Um, that's such a such a complex question when it comes to the North Carolina athletics and, and fan support. I mean, we can go back to you know the, the the final Duke game that Mac was here and it wasn't packed. And I think I think that's kind of a good place to start. Um, because like basketball, for example, you know, people made kind of a big deal about Roy Williams's comments at the exhibition game about it, not being packed. And I, I agree wholeheartedly with that. Uh, I mean, this is a national championship team that just unveiled their banner. They've been to two straight national championship games and the fans don't come out for an exhibition game. What more do you want? I mean, your your team is a defending national champion. You get your butts in the seats.
0: Talk about practice, though. Talk about practice, not the game. Yeah, but
1: it's, it's still it's an opportunity to see. I mean, then you get to the football side of things in Nebraska. You know, who hasn't been good, however many years? But they pack what eighty thousand in their spring games. I mean, that's practice. But I mean, on the on the football side of things, you talk about the Mac Brown game, the Duke game. I mean he had North Carolina as an elite program. I mean those were two dominant teams these last two years. And you're not packing it out for senior day? That's where the question to me comes from is if you're not packing it out then, you're not going to pack it out for Miami when the team's 1 and 7. I mean forget about that. So so what is it? What what's the what's the issue there? And I don't know the answer to that, Tommy. Um I wish I did. I think a lot of people be be able to make some money off that. But the fact that when you've had you know great teams both in basketball and football, and you're still not packing the stands, I don't I don't really know how you address that.
2: Well, that's what's funny to me. You know, everybody says, "Oh, we can watch it on my big screen, sixty five inch television. I can drink free beer at the house." Um, to your point, they didn't really have all that stuff in ninety seven and ninety eight, right? When Brown. Was hot about it. He had the right to be. And Ross, if it's about wins, why is the exhibition game for Carolina empty? Why will it be uh pretty similar to that early in this season? You wait and see. There's going to be empties in the Smith Center. And people say, "Well, if it's half full in the Smith Center, that's a standing room only crowd at Duke." Well, is that an excuse or or what, Ross? Your take on the whole deal?
0: I, mean, I think the dome is a little too big, the Keen Sam is a little too big. I think. I mean, look, I was a, you know, I've I've been a college sports fan. It's it's nice to just come home from work and and sit in your couch and watch that game, and not have to deal with traffic, not have to deal with buying food there, not have to deal with paying for parking. I mean, it's a it's it's nice to just sit and watch from your couch. That's the one thing. I think Carolina's got a couple issues. I know we talked about this with Mike Ingersoll a couple weeks back um there's just not that rabid fan base for football um and this is a generational thing i mean there were no students there against miami there were no students there um it was against notre dame i mean just the home game has been gradually gradually worse and look i mean i know the team isn't winning but it's just still a fun experience and when you live on campus or live right off campus and you can you know hang out with your buddies and drink some adult sodas I mean it's a fun time and I don't I don't get why students aren't coming out at least in the first half and, and or at least or coming at halftime or just supporting the team at some point during the game because I mean it's been awful and I get families and adults that you know aren't buying the tickets it is expensive and all that stuff but um and obviously I mean when losing so much does not help and I it's just a culture issue and it's going to take Multiple winning seasons, eight nine wins. You know, I thought UNC was going to have it going there with after the 2015 season, 2016, and kind of build on that. Obviously, that's not the case there, but it's 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 got to be a good product. And then obviously the guys, uh, you know, the administrators and the people that deal with the the campus environment and, and game day environment, are doing all they can to make it a better experience with the seat back chairs, with better food, with some different and new tailgate options, which I think are, are Heading the right way in terms of what tailgate tailgate guys brings uh in front of Keenan, kind of in the woods there, but um, it does come down to winning. I mean, I've been posting on Twitter about some of the poor attendance, and it's always about well, how how are we supposed to support a one and eight team? And it does really come down down to that. But even when UNC has won, it's never been pack packed. I think just a couple of night games from what I can remember over the last couple of years is when it's really been crowded. Um, obviously some some Butch seasons as well, but um. I think football is just – it's a uphill battle every year to try to get that place rocking. And, and the game against Miami, it was a good game, but it was not even close to being half full, I thought. I think uh, basketball – I mean, they'll come to the big games. I think exhibition game, understandable. You know, look, uh, late night with Roy, it was packed. That was pretty cool to see. Obviously, a free ticket. Practice. For-
2: You're talking about practice. I know. It was packed.
0: Well, that was the the unveiling of the uh, the banner, and uh, it was it's a cool deal. People like late night with the Roy, all the recruits there, and everything, and it was packed for that, and that was great to see. I think you get a seven o'clock exhibition game going to be a little bit less popular against Barton, but uh, I think you know Northern Iowa, and as you get to the season, you'll you'll definitely see more of a crowd because there is a lot of hype around this program. Recruiting's kind of stepped up a little bit. You had Zion Williamson on campus. There's a little buzz around this program right now, obviously because of the two back to back Final Fours, a lot of returning players reigning national champions. So I'm, I'm not concerned about basketball attendance. I just worry about football. I just It sucks to see these guys fighting their hearts out and, and playing so tough and just giving everything they can because they have not quit on themselves with this team and just playing a, against such a paltry um, audience. I I think basketball fans are spoiled,
2: and I'll say it and bring it and show me otherwise. And I think football fans are apathetic yeah and they don't and they don't show up um I don't think winning has a ton to do with it um not for North Carolina at least we'll see if, if the football team can get back the one of the best experiences I had at Carolina at a football game coming off Matt Browns is two one in ten seasons, and it doesn't get any worse than those one in ten and I think one of those years it was Georgia Tech and the other one it was v m i Carolina hosted Georgia Tech. And the place was nuts. I don't remember the rest, but the student section was absolutely insane. I mean, I—if I'd have died that day, they'd have said, "Yeah, I, I could see why he died." It was that crazy. They tied the eventual national champions that day. It just the student section. There's no excuse for it not to be packed. I know. And uh, but anyway, Greg, I'm gonna let you close them. Put you on the spot. Give us some words of wisdom going into this bye week. <laughs> um. <laughs>
0: And then share they're gonna your, they're gonna be undefeated in this bye week. Yeah, share your thoughts
2: on uh, this week in Carolina sports.
1: Yeah, <laughs> you gotta be gotta be one and zero this week, and I, I think Ross is right. You're gonna you'll probably be undefeated in that regard. I think Larry Fedora kind of kind of hit the the nail on his head when he said, "You know, ideally you get your guys rested up, but you know, with this situation where North Carolina has so many guys that are." out for the year uh, you're not getting them back but this is an opportunity to uh, continue to work the young guys get them as many reps as possible try to rest some of the guys you got to rely on because I really do think you know with the Miami game that's prompted a lot of discussion on the message board and not everybody's railing on the team like if they did after the Virginia Tech game they're kind of arguing back and forth, hey, well, the defense played good. Well, they're not good enough. And I think that's healthy. That means that there's still people seeing things that they like. And so if you can build off of that and go up to Pittsburgh and win and then beat Western, now we're talking about three good games in a row, then you get to go to state. I think that would actually kind of really rejuvenate the, the program, the team for sure, the fan base. And that would make a lot of people be interested in how that game goes because we know that's a rivalry game. So I think it's just kind of getting rested up, not just physically but emotionally. I think it's been such a a tiring year for a variety of reasons. But I think it's it's very beneficial from that standpoint. And then for basketball, kind of the the interesting thing is we've got the exhibition game or exhibition whatever you want to call it. Um, Well, Jamboree, I think. it's Old old
2: school jamboree. That brings back the high school days.
1: That's right. Uh, But you're talking with Roy after the Barton game is that this is the week that he's really going to start experimenting with lineups because before this, he hadn't really been doing that. He's just been putting guys out there to see how everybody looked. Well, now he's going to start saying, okay, well I want to put Jalik and seventh on the floor at the same time. Or I want to put Theo at the four beside Brandon Huffman. And let's see how that works for a while. And so. I would think that by Sunday, we'll start to see some of those pairings, and that will give us a really good indication of what's going to happen once that Northern Iowa game comes around next week. So, bye week this week, off week for basketball, but next week it's going to be exciting because you got the Pitt game, which is big, and then the next night you have the season opener in basketball. So, things are about to get pretty exciting.
2: And pretty, and pretty hectic for Greg Barnes and Ross Martin covering Carolina sports. Guys, we've been all over the place. Thought it was pretty fun. We should do it more often. Uh, but that'll wrap for this one. Guys, thanks.
0: you, Tommy. Thanks, Tommy.
1: Thanks for listening to InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting.